this series we've been talking about the greatest and just talking about how in our culture it's so important to talk about greatness and we hear about it all the time. But the Bible refers to really true greatness and, and looking at what God revealed to us, what are the true great things that have happened in the history of the world. And we started out our series talking about the greatest tragedy. And the greatest tragedy we learned is that uh, the opportunity for people to come to Christ, the gift that he has given to all people, yet some will reject Some will not receive that gift. And that is the greatest tragedy of the history of the world. That some people will hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They will hear that they have been set free from sin and death. And they will not receive it. And they will not believe it. That is the greatest tragedy of all time. And then we went on last week to talk about the greatest challenge. The greatest challenge is for a holy, perfect God to be in relationship with sinful people. The greatest challenge of all time is for a perfect God to be in relationship with imperfect people. And so God had to deal with that challenge, and and his way of doing it was to be our Savior, to become a man so that he may die in our place. And so if you want to see these or go back to these, they're also on our website. Uh, You can go and revisit that. Today we're talking about victory. Victory, the greatest victory in the history of the world. The greatest victory that ever has happened. You know, right now, we have freedom. You and I have freedom to gather in here. We have freedom to read from God's word. We have freedom to declare Jesus' name. That is not true on most of the earth. There's lots of places in the earth where they are not free to do what we're doing right now. And the reason we're free is because certain victories happened. Certain historical victories took place. We had a revolutionary war. We had a civil war. We've had World War I and World War II, wars that led to victories, that led to freedom. And right now, all of us live under the benefits of those victories. Just imagine if any of those would have gone any differently. Just imagine if any of the wars or any of those struggles would have turned out differently, how life would be different now. We claim the prize. We claim the reward of the victory of history. We didn't earn it. We did nothing to get it. And yet we receive it now. And so when I was thinking about this idea of victory and and how through wars we've seen victories and how things that are very, um, could go either way and change so much, I think about my own life. My grandmother, who I told you about, was an immigrant with her family from Greece. Uh, Before my grandmother was born, uh, she already had seven siblings before her. And she was born in 1929. Many of you know 1929 was a very hard year in the United States. It was the beginning of uh, a great um, turnaround with our finances, the Great Depression, the fallout within our system of economics. And her mom was not very excited about having a child, bringing a child into the world. And so my great-grandmother was speaking to one of her friends and said, I really do not think it's a good idea for me to bring this child into the world, and so what should I do? And her friend said, well, I've heard if you take a lot of sleeping pills, that's one way to kill your baby. And so my great-grandmother decided to do that and attempted to kill her child. Fortunately for me, there was a victory, and my, my grandmother was born, and she came into the world. 
In the first year of her life, there was major health problems for children of her age, and many were dying young. And she received, she had actually gotten pneumonia as, a, as an infant, and there was not a good chance of her living. And yet there was a victory. Amen. There's a victory, because you guys know the end of the story. I'm here right now. That means she lived. <laughs> the victory, I claim the benefits. I claim the reward of a victory I did nothing to earn or deserve. She went on to live in New York City, and she was told, she was raised Greek Orthodox. She says, you better not talk to anyone that's not Greek Orthodox as a boy. You better stay away from all those boys that aren't Greek Orthodox. Because you're supposed to keep the tradition alive. And another victory that I am part of, that I didn't earn or deserve, was that she decided to go outside of the Greek Orthodox, and she dated another boy. And they got married. And they had my father. And my father married and had me. And I am the result of those victories that I, don't, I didn't earn and I didn't deserve. Right now, you are the result of victories that you may or may not even know about. There are things that have happened in the history of your life and the history of your lineage that you don't know anything about that allow you to be here right now. And you gain the, the great victory of life. The great victory of life has been given to you. My grandmother's name is Anastasia Zykes. We named my daughter after her, Anastasia Bailey. Anastasia in Greek means resurrection. We named my daughter, she was named after the greatest event in the history of the world. What I believe is the greatest victory of all time. My question to you this morning is you're the beneficiary of lots of victories. Lots of things have happened to get you here today. Are you living in the right victory? What victory are you looking at with your heart? What victory are you looking at with your mind and focusing on that the most? Is it money? Is it pleasure? Is it comfort? Where is your heart focused for victory right now? If you were to be honest with yourself, by the way you live your life and the thoughts that you have, what is the most important victory to you today? To me, that is so essential for us to ask ourselves these questions and then go to God and see what he has to say. And so before we go to his word, let's precede it in prayer. Father God, I am grateful for your love. I am grateful for your grace. I am grateful for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for keeping my grandmother alive in the womb. Thank you for keeping her alive as an infant. Thank you for allowing her to marry my grandfather. Thank you for having my father. Thank you for bringing me into this world. Lord, thank you for all the things that you have ordained that we have no control over. Lord, I pray in these moments where we talk about much bigger things than the world talks about, as we talk about things that are eternal, things that are past this life, that we wouldn't miss it. That we wouldn't be so focused on on what is here and now that we don't see what is yet to come. Lord, I pray that you would open us in a spiritual way, that we would be ready to receive what you have for us today that your will would be done exactly as it is in heaven. That, Lord, you would give us today the thing we need today to grow and mature. 
And Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, that they would be released from the curse and slavery of sin and the death that it brings and that they would receive life eternal and that your Holy Spirit would live within them and guide them for the rest of their lives. But we thank you that we get to worship you on a day that is like no other, that no one else can claim the day of resurrection, the day that you came alive. And so, Lord, now we ask that you would bless the reading of your word, that you would teach us something, that you would grow us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we'll be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be starting in verse 54. If you'd like to turn there, it'll be on the screens. But before we go there, there's a lot of context that comes to this because just to read this um, doesn't really suffice to what we're talking about. Because today we talk about the big stuff. Today we talk about the things that are beyond even all of us. We go back all the way to the very beginning. We go to the very initiating of human life. The first relationship that was there between the first two people, Adam and Eve and God. And looking at that relationship and looking in that place in history and time and knowing that that was a real place and a real time and a real relationship between God and people. And that that time on this earth, it was perfect. It was sin-free. And that God walked with Adam and Eve and he talked with them and had the relationship he intended to have with them. But he allowed a door to be open of free will, an opportunity to choose our own path, to have our own will, to decide for ourselves what we would do. And so they were given the challenge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Would they resist in obedience or fall into temptation? Well, we're all the products of their decision. Right now, our great ancestors, Adam and Eve, introduced all of our problems. We talked a little bit about this last week, but it's hard for us to understand a world without sin. Our world is messy. Just look at the news. Just walk around, even walking around and preparing for Easter. Just listening to conversations. I was in the grocery store yesterday, and I just heard conversation after conversation about people that looked really agitated, really upset. The world isn't the way it should be. People aren't the way they should be. This person bugs me. That person bugs me. This bugs me. That bugs me. This is irritating. That's irritating. How could they do this? How could they do that? We live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that is just full of challenges. And all of that, whether it's the big challenges of war or the personal challenges of relationships, all of it, all of it can find its birth in sin. All of it can find its birth in sin. And when Adam and Eve made that decision to to resist God's will, to do it their own way, they invited both sin and death into the world. Sin and death. Do you know sin and death are the two topics the world doesn't want to talk about and the world has no answer for? They have no answer for it. We're all headed there. What's going to happen? What is it like? What is after this life? Sin, the problems of this world, how do we deal with them? How do we deal with the mess of this world? 
And for about 3,000 years, people tried to figure that out. As we read historically, that first you have Cain and Abel, the first brothers, and, and sin has gone from, I'm not going to eat, I'm going to eat this fruit that I'm told not to eat, to, I'm going to kill my brother, because I'm mad. That escalates pretty quickly. And then it goes to Lamech. If you read in Genesis, um, Lamech is, is the grandfather of Noah, and he says, oh, well, Cain may have killed his brother. I've killed the thousands. Seventy times seventy have I killed for looking at me the wrong way. Right? He bragged about his killing. He bragged about his sin. And so you go from it being this kind of, I don't want to listen to you, God, to I love evil. And sin has penetrated the world and death has penetrated the world. And we're told when it gets to the flood that God looks at the earth and he looks at our hearts because God knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything about you. And he looks at everybody simultaneously. And he says, as I looked at humankind and I looked at what they think about all the time and I looked about what they do all the time, I recognized that their thoughts are on evil continuously. Their thoughts are evil continuously. And he says, I regret making them. I regret the fact that they love sin and death so much. And so, there's a flood, and we begin again. And God makes a promise to a man named Abram, and he says, through your children, I'm going to bring somebody that solves the problem of sin and death. I'm going to bring someone to this earth that solves the issue of death and solves the issue of the mess that sin has made. And so Abraham has a son named Isaac, who has a son named Jacob, who has a son named Joseph, who helps his people escape the hard times of famine. And then later we know Moses. 400 years later, Moses brings the people back and Joshua takes them into the land and they establish the nation of Israel and they're still waiting. Thousand years has passed and they still haven't got the answer to sin and death. All the things that happened. God's promising there's a solution to sin and death. When is it coming? And so they wait and they say, when is this person coming? When is this person coming? And then a child is born. A son is given, and we call him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Not a smart person with us, not a great teacher with us, not a very religious person with us, not a really nice guy with us, not a prophet with us. God himself with us as a human, living in flesh and blood. And he is given a task. His task is to deal with sin and to deal with death. And so we're told throughout his life, from teenage years up to his 30s, he is tempted in sin every way you have been tempted in sin. And does not sin. Do you know why he does not sin? Because there is only one way. There is only one way for you and I to deal with sin and death. And that is if there is a perfect sacrifice that pays for our sin so death can be dealt with. 
And so every time Jesus is tempted, I could lie here. I can manipulate here. I can do something wrong here. No one will know. No one will see. I have powers. I can do what I want. He chose to restrict himself. He chose righteousness. He chose the right way. Why? To save us so that we would have freedom, so that we would be saved from sin and death. Religious people, people like me, looked at Jesus and said, you're a liar. You're lying. You are not the Savior. You are not the one that was promised to Abraham. You are not the one we're looking for. I know more. I don't believe you. And so they got together and they plotted against him and they said, we got to kill this guy. He's a liar. And so they got the Romans involved. And they said, he needs to be put to death. He's starting something. He's going to try to overtake Rome. And so they get together and they falsely accuse him. And he goes before the leaders of his time and says nothing. Why? Because he has a mission greater than what was at that moment. His mission is he sees you. He sees me. He sees everyone. And he says, the only way, the only way sin and death can be dealt with is if I be quiet And I allow these people that I created to mock me, to scourge me. They would take whips and they would whip him. So badly we're told that when they whipped him, he was not even visibly noticeable anymore. He was mutilated to the point where you couldn't recognize who he was. They pulled his beard out. They whipped him. They lashed him. They spit on him. And then they took a crown of thorns. They placed it on his head. And they put a robe around him. And they mocked him to his face. And then they took him to the skull hill. And they put him there. And people would come by and spit him and mock him. And then there was a guy on a cross next to him that was mocking him and saying, You're a fool. You're a liar. You're not who you say you are. And only the other man on the cross, the other thief, who said, what are you talking about? He did nothing of what we did. He's the only right person. He's the only innocent person. All of Jesus' closest friends, all the people he called his disciples, his friends, were hiding at this time. They thought they lost. They thought there's no way there's victory. Death and sin have won. They did not believe. They ran away. And there, Jesus hung on the cross, and possibly the most difficult part of the victory, the most difficult part of the challenge, arose. It was the moment when God turned himself from Christ. God turned himself and and denied that relationship, stopped that relationship. And Jesus looks and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus went to the cross to the point of being forsaken so that you and I could have life and victory. This is a real event. This happened. It transformed everything. And then at that moment, they pierced him in the side and water came out. And he says, to tell us die, it is finished. I have paid the price. I have taken their sin. I have taken their hatred for God. I have taken the mess. I have taken the things that are filthy. And I have washed them with my blood. And then for three days, you know what he did? He took out sin and death. He took them out and had a great victory.
And then on the third day, he came back. And nobody believed he was coming back. This is, you, that's not, that cannot be true. That cannot be real. That's not real life. And they came to the tomb and, and the, the disciples are, they're hanging out at the house and they're saying, we've lost, there's no victory, we've given our life to a lie, what are we going to do next? And, and, the, and the women go to the tomb and, and they're going there because they're like, we, we want to take care of his dead body, he's not alive, we want to go uh, put ointments and, and perfumes so it doesn't smell. And as they show up, the rock is thrown away, the guards are gone, and there's angels sitting there, there's, people, there's heavenly beings standing there saying, why are you looking for the living among Amongst the dead. And the women go and they return to the disciples and they said, You're not going to believe this. He's not there. He's alive. And even in that statement, they're like, You are deceived. You are naive. That's not real. That's not the real world. That's not real life. And so they had to go check it out for themselves. So much so that one of the disciples named Thomas, who doubted he was the biggest skeptic, he had to stand there and feel the pierced marks on Christ's hand to believe. But when he felt them, he said, my Lord and my God. Emmanuel, God with us. Do you realize, do you realize we live in the year 2021 because a man claimed to defeat sin and death 2021 years ago. All of time is built on this man's life. He goes to his disciples. They see him and their lives are radically turned upside down. Now, now they believe. Now they have faith. Now they're willing to die for this. They're willing to do whatever for this. And there's a man who's trying to kill them all named Saul. And he meets Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And all of a sudden now he is one of the leaders in this new movement to share this good news. That death has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. We need to tell the whole world. This is what he said. Go tell the whole world. That they can be my family. They can go back to what it was always intended to be. It was never intended to be this mess. It was never intended to be like what we've always had and all we've known. It's so much better. It's so much better. And so that man, Saul, changes his name to Paul. And he begins to start churches to share about this good news. And he writes to a church in Corinth that he helped start. And that's where we pick up the verse. He's writing to Corinth. Because Corinth is going through a lot of mess. To become a Christian in Corinth is basically a death sentence for many. You're going to lose your job. People are going to think you're a fool. How could you believe nonsense? That's not real. That's not true. How could you believe that kind of stuff? That's what the Corinth church was dealing with, persecution. And so Paul's trying to encourage them. And on this Easter, we need this encouragement. We need these words. And if you've never heard these words, you need these words. And so here's what he writes. Verse 54. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God. He gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives the what? He gives the what? He gives the what? He gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. They are at the root of every problem you have. Stop worrying. Everything you have anxiety about, everything you have stress about, whether it's school, work, relationships, money, is temporary and has been dealt with at the cross. He has the victory. He has the victory. And he has established to allow us to benefit, not because of anything we've done, not because of who we are, because of what he is and who he is and what he's done. Do we claim any of the prize that came with the victory? But where are you looking for victory? Because everything you're looking for victory in, everything the world says victory, the world says go after money, go after relationships, go after success, Go after this. Go after that. Because it will deal with your issues of sin. It will deal with the messiness. You'll be happy. You'll be satisfied. But it's a lie. Because it won't. The world is full of empty promises. The world is full of lies. That most people spend their whole life running after. Only to find that it wasn't anything at all. Because sin and death cannot be dealt with by your success. Sin and death cannot be dealt with by how good a person you are. Sin and death cannot be dealt with by how skilled you are at whatever you're skilled at. Sin and death cannot be dealt with by your relationships. Sin and death cannot be dealt with by how much money you've saved. Sin and death cannot be dealt with by anything we do in our own power. It can only be dealt with on the cross of Christ and his resurrection. So anything you search after as victory for your life is empty and vain and worthless if it isn't Christ. What is the greatest victory ever? The greatest victory ever is the one Jesus had over sin and death. What what does Jesus' victory mean to you this morning? What does Jesus' victory mean to you if you're his follower, if you've claimed it? Here's what it means. Your past is crossed out. Your past is crossed out. That cross took all the mess you've made, all the mess I've made, all the poor decisions, all the wrong routes, all the wrong words, all the wrong thoughts, and it crossed them out. I said, I paid for those. I paid for you. I took, when I went to the cross, I took that on the cross. For you. Stop looking in the rearview mirror. Stop living in the past. Stop looking back and regretting so much. Stop looking back at your past and letting it define your future and your present. Stop worshiping the past. The past is gone. It's frozen. You can't do anything about it. And if you follow Christ, it's crossed out. Your present. What is the resurrection? What does the victory mean to your present? Well, it's a gift. Every day is a gift. 
This moment is a gift. God is speaking to your heart. That is a gift. You are not telling your heart to beat right now. You're not calling yourself into existence. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose when you would be born. You chose almost nothing about who you are. The part you get to choose, the part you and I get to choose, is if we say yes or no to Christ. Because I can say yes to myself my whole life. You can say yes to yourself your whole life. And you know what you'll get? You'll get what you can give you. What can you give you? What can you receive on your own merit, on your own ability? What can you do for you? I know personally I can do nothing for myself. It's all empty. It's all fleeting. It's all just a mirage. But in him, today is a present. Today is a gift. The gift of eternal life. The gift of abundant life the gift of peace, the gift of love, the gift of knowing no matter what happens today, tomorrow, forever, it's okay. Because he's already won. That's a gift that only he can give. Your future is a celebration. We should be the happiest people on the earth. We should be happy in the worst moments. You know, not fake happy, but we should have peace in the worst moments in life. Because they're temporary. Every moment in your life has an expiration date. It'll be gone. It will pass. Everything. But this victory is not. It's eternal. It's a celebration. Right now, Jesus says now we see partly. Now we talk about this stuff. I talk about heaven and you're thinking clouds and angels and harps, right? It's hard to grasp what this is. Right now, it's kind of distant and it's vague. But Jesus says when we walk from this life to the next, when you birth out of this life, it's going to be crystal clear. And your your emotions are going to connect with your mind and it's going to be like, wow, I could never have imagined. And the amazing thing to me is I'm on a timetable and I'm sharing something with you that I don't even know anything about yet. But I know it is coming. And it's exciting. It's more exciting than the things I get about, excited about in this life. It's more exciting than the temporary thrills of this life. It's an excitement that's overwhelming because it is overwhelming. That's what his victory inclines you to have. That's what his victory means in your life. So how do we do this? Application. Jesus said this. He says, if you want this, if you want this freedom, if you want this victory, you first have to admit you have to repent. You have to admit you're a sinner. You have to admit that I've been trying to go my own way. I've been trying to make it happen. I've been trying to do it in my own terms. And I was wrong. And for a lot, that is a difficult thing to do. But it's what we need to do. If this victory is what you want, you have to be willing to admit that you were wrong. And not only admit that you're wrong, but the things that you cherish, the things that you were looking for victory in, now you're going to look for victory in Christ. You're going to look for victory in God's way. After repentance, we're told that we are to receive and believe, meaning I now 
accept this into my life and I believe it to be true with every sense of who I am. I can tell you when I was 16 years old and it was a very difficult thing for me to make this decision because there was a conflict of control within my heart and it was tense and it was like going to battle. But that moment that I made the decision in my own heart and said, Christ, I am yours. Take me. I want to live for you. Help me to live for you. The Holy Spirit of God entered and changed me and has been changing me ever since. Constantly, constantly working and growing and maturing and giving long-term, eternal sight, not temporary sight. And so you must receive and believe. And when you receive and you believe, then you belong. And I want you to belong to this family here. And I want you to belong to the church of, of, that's all over the world. A place you can belong. We all want to belong. We want to be loved and we want to belong. You want to belong. A place where you are valued. A place where you're listened to. A place where you matter. Where you're missed when you're not there. I want to be a part of a place where I belong. The body of Christ. We need each other. We need to gather regularly. We need friends that are believers. We need to belong. Do you have that victory in your life so you can belong? And if you do these things, if you repent, you receive, you believe, you belong, guess what? You start to become. 